Good evening. Parking was difficult tonight. <laughs> well, thank you for coming. It's a busy day. It's Mother's Day and a lot of traffic out there. Last Sunday, we uh, had celebrated a Mother's Day for, for Betty at my son's house. And it, we were finished eating, and I, I proposed that we go around and each of us say something that we appreciate about our mother, that we appreciate, uh, whether our mother is living or has passed on, uh, we, that didn't make any difference. What did we appreciate, appreciate about our mothers? And the answers ranged from, in my case, I, I expressed that I was thankful my mother read to me when I was a kid. Uh, she would just sit there and I, so I got used to her voice and I, I liked to read. And that's one of the things I appreciate about my mom, that she read to me. And my, my grandson said uh, to my daughter, he's, uh, he was real shy, he said, I'm glad you're my mom. <laughs> and so it ranged over the whole spectrum of expressing gratitude for your mother. And so I thought tonight we would look at some mothers in the Old Testament and one in the New Testament and if you were, if, 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 if the son or the daughter could say, what I appreciate about her is this, what word would we put in there? Because none of them ever really said anything. We don't have anything recorded about how they express their feelings about their mother. But what, did I, what do I appreciate about my mother? We'll look at Sarah. We'll look at... Just briefly, uh, Samuel, because Nick spoke on uh, Samuel this morning, Hannah and Samuel this morning, uh, speak on Samson. Speak about a lady with no name, a widow that Elijah spent some time with. What would her son, who was brought back from the dead uh, by the Lord through Elijah's efforts uh, to revive him, what would Timothy say about Lois, his mother, in the New Testament? What word would we say to describe the mother in each of these cases? So for the next half hour or so, I'd like to just talk about these various uh, mothers and a word we would choose to describe them, uh, that the son would say, this describes my mother. The first is Sarah, and the son is Isaac. And right away, uh, now, Isaac name, Isaac's name means he laughs, okay, because when God told Abraham that he was going to have a son, and Abraham's close to 100 years old, Abraham laughed, he roared, this is almost impossible. So he got the name Isaac, he laughs. Well, it turns out his mother laughed also when she found out that she at 90 was going to enjoy sexual relations with her husband. She probably had a twinkle in her eye when she heard all this. Uh, but she laughed. And I think Isaac would say, one thing I remember about my mom that I admired about her, she laughed. And I don't know if, if you would express that about your mother, but I'm sure many of us would. We're glad our mothers had a sense of humor. Uh, I'm glad my mother, had, my mother laughed at all my dad's jokes, old or new. It was great. Uh, <laughs> you know, because we could hear him again and again, and she would laugh the same way every time. She just had a sense of humor. 
But that's what Isaac would probably say about Sarah. Let's go read a little bit more about Sarah. There's some things, the reason why he, she laughed, okay? No doubt she was a, a, a funny woman to be with. And we've known, I've known sisters who were just a kick in the pants. Okay, a great sense of humor. And I think Sarah was that kind of a woman. Let's turn over to um, Genesis 17. And we'll, uh, we'll just get a little background at first, and that's uh, God's promise to them. Remember, Abraham's old, and so is Sarah. Way, Sarah is way past menopause. I mean, 30 years in the past, okay? So there's just no way physically she could have children. But then verse 15, Then God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah, Sarah shall be her name. Sarah means you're my princess. Over this house, you're a princess. Sarah means you're a princess over nations. Okay, you're a real regal princess. That's what Sarah means. So God wants to change her name. It's verse 16, and I will bless her and also give you a son by her. Then I will bless her and, and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of people shall be from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed. Okay, here you have a couple that both like to laugh. I mean, here's an impossible promise God is making. And said in his heart, Shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? And shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Then God said, No, Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son. And you shall call his name Isaac, he laughs. I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his descendants after him. They had already, God had made this promise earlier, you know, but they had thought, we'll, we'll solve it our way. We'll have, uh, maybe Sarah's maid sleep with Abraham. She'll bear a son, and that will be the answer to what God has promised. And God says, no, that's not what I promised. I have promises for them, but that's not the promise I'm giving you. See, they were going, uh, they're helping themselves, okay? We'll, we'll do the best we can under our own efforts. God made a promise, but we'll, we'll do our best. Okay, so this is, what, this is our answer to that. No, the answer to some of our uh, things we pray about and pray about, no doubt Abraham and, and Sarah were praying about this. Maybe at this time they had abandoned any hope of, of ever seeing this really happen, they've given up all hope. Okay, they're sort of at the end of the line. And the things that are hopeless is when God can work. So he's going to perform a miracle. So uh, in chapter 18, verse 1, Then the Lord appeared to him, that's Abraham, by the terebinth trees of Mamre, as he was sitting in the tent door in the heat of the day. And he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing by him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the ground and said, My Lord, if I have now found favor in your sight, do not pass on by your servant. Please let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. So this is Middle Eastern hospitality. Somebody's come by. 
and he has the gift of hospitality. Sarah does too. So he says here, at verse 5, I will bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh your hearts. After that you may pass by, inasmuch as you have come to your servant. And they said, do as you have said. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah and said, quickly, make ready three measures of fine meal. Knead it and make cakes. And she rushes off to do that. Okay, just picture a 90-year-old lady rushing off to help prepare these, this, this meal for the, for the, uh, and bake some, uh, uh, bake some cakes for the visitors. And he tells uh, one of his servants, uh, young men, to get a good calf and present that too and prepare it. Then in verse 9 is something interesting. Then they said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, here in the tent. So he's outside and she's inside. Now, he never told them her name, but it was the Lord. And he probably says it out loud so Sarah can hear her name being spoken. She's inside the tent, so she's going to get close to the door. What are these guys going to say? Okay, because they mentioned my name. And that's, you know, just picture Sarah hustling over to the tent door and listening to what they're going to say. And here's what they said. He said, verse 10, I will certainly return to you according to the time of life. And behold, Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. Sarah was listening in the tent door, which was behind him. So he didn't see her, but she's listening. Okay, what does she do? Verse 11, now Abraham and Sarah were old, well advanced in age, and Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. Like I said, she was way past menopause. No children. Impossible. And the Lord said to Abraham, oh, therefore, verse 12, therefore Sarah laughed within herself, saying, after I have grown old, shall I have pleasure? My Lord being old also, a little twinkle in her eye. Am I going to have relations with my husband? This is, you know. He's kind of old, too. He's like 100. Okay, so there's a twinkle in her eye. <clears throat> she laughs, doubting God's promise. A little bit of unbelief in this laugh, okay? But she's laughing to herself. The Lord said to Abraham in verse 13, why did Sarah laugh? But she laughed to herself. The Lord, Lord knows everything we're thinking. So when we have malicious thoughts towards somebody, remember, God knows it. He hears it. Here's the example. He hears Sarah's laughter of unbelief. This impossible thing could never happen. We prayed for it. We've just given up. But God's going to do it. He's going to do it by natural means. Whoa. Fantastic. And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I surely bear a child since I am old? Is there anything too hard for the Lord? Now, that's a promise we can all take and memorize, okay? Genesis 18, 14, is anything too hard for the Lord? So we take it to the Lord, whatever the issue might be. Uh, for some couples, it, it's true. They can't have, physically have children. They go to the doctors, all that. But is anything too hard for the Lord? Amazing promise. And the point is, he can do the impossible, and he does it in their life, in Sarah and Abraham's life. That's the beauty of the whole thing. 
but she laughed, and it was a laughter of unbelief. But let's go over um, Genesis 21. We're going to skip over some things, because the only point I wanted to make was the fact she laughed. It's Mother's Day. What would I say about my mother if I was Isaac? She laughed. That first laugh, though, was one of unbelief. There's some little lessons in that. But if we go to Genesis 21 and verse 5. Now Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made me laugh, and all who hear will laugh with me. Who She also said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? For I have borne him a son in his old age. And so the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the same day that Isaac was weaned. So she, this is the laugh of joy of answered prayer. Now, have you ever experienced that when God has done something you totally did not expect, but you're just so thankful? Yes. Okay? Unexpected answers to prayer. That's what that says to me. You've been steering your life a certain way, and all of a sudden something changes it for, uh, dramatically for the better. An answer to prayer. Some prayers you're scared to make sometimes because they seem so impossible. Yet he does it. He answers, is anything too hard for the Lord? A young man uh, was walking with an older brother one day, and he was feeling insecure about what God had planned for his life, for him to do. So he asked the older brother, you know, he's asking him, what's the Lord's plan for my life? Should I do this or that? And the older brother walked up to a rose bush and then handed the young man a rosebud and told him to open it without tearing off any of the petals. The young man looked in disbelief, but was trying to figure out what, what a rosebud could have to do with his problems, wanting to know the will of God for his life and for his ministry. He, he did want to serve the Lord, but he had a high respect for the older brother, and he proceeded to try to unfold the rose, keeping every petal intact, and it wasn't long before he realized it's impossible. I don't know if you ever tried it, but it's really impossible. So the, the older brother gave, told him a poem. It's only a tiny rosebud, a flower of God's design. But I cannot unfold the petals with these clumsy hands of mine. The secret of unfolding flowers is not to such as I. God opens this flower so sweetly when in my hands they fade and die. If I cannot unfold a rosebud, this flower of God's design, then how can I think I have wisdom to unfold this life of mine? So I will trust in him for his leading each moment of every day. I will look to him for guidance each step of the pilgrim way. The pathway that lies before me, only my heavenly Father knows. I'll trust him to unfold the moments just as he unfolds the rose. So we try to control so many things. I have a sister-in-law, after she had had her first two kids, who had a five-year plan for the, for, for the next five. I mean, she was, my sister-in-law is a controlling person, okay. So she had a five-year plan. And wouldn't you know, they got, she got 
unexpectedly pregnant <laughs> through a five-year plan. <laughs> anyway, a big surprise. A lot of things you can't plan for. You just praise God. <gasps> Let him unfold your life in many respects. Obviously, you can't be dumb about it and just uh, do stupid things, but still, you, you, you can plan so much, but then you have to say, Lord, you know, I've done this, and it's in your hands now. I want it in your hands, and that, that's the way we should live day by day. Well, let's look to another mother. Uh, there, were two, there are two men in the Old Testament. Have you ever heard of the um, a vow of a Nazarite? A vow of a, it's not a Nazarene, a person from Nazareth. A Nazarite is a Jewish commitment to separate yourself from the Lord's servant for a period of time. Okay, that's what a Nazarite does. And a Nazarite, and, and people still do it today, actually, in the Jewish religion. Uh, but at that time in the Old Testament, well, it's true today. You can do it for any length of time. Typically, 30 days is, is the vow of a Nazarite. But there's two examples in the Old Testament where the Lord promised children to barren women who then were told, raise your son as a Nazarite from birth for his whole life. Okay, this was very unusual. Usually it's for 30 days. Uh, some people believe that John the Baptist was uh, made a Nazarite from birth when he was told he could never drink strong drink. Actually, the restrictions are no wine, grapes, or raisins. Okay, nothing having to do with grapes. Um, another restriction is you never cut your hair on your head. Uh, women, uh, women can take the vow of a Nazarite as well, by the way. But these are you know, some examples of men. Um, another is, the, th the third is you never touch a dead body. Uh, in particular, even a family member, you don't touch a, a dead body. That's, uh, if you're Nazarite, you just don't do that. So anyway, there's two men in the Old Testament. Do you know who they are? Who are they? Samson and Samuel, right, exactly. And this morning, Nick talked about uh, Samuel raised in Nazarite and, and given to the Lord. And if you look at uh, Samuel, uh, Samuel's mother, what would you say about her? What would Samuel say about his mother? If he was going to say, there's something I admired about my mother, what, 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 what words would you put in there? She prayed. She prayed. That's a very good, yeah, she did pray. And she was praying in the temple, right, when uh, Eli saw her and thought she was drunk. But uh, she prayed. What else? What was another characteristic that you would say, that was a blessing for Samuel to have such a mother? She was faithful. How about if, would you say she was generous? I mean, the Lord gave her something, and what did she do? She gave it back to the Lord. She only gave, she gave back what the Lord gave her. She gave the Lord back her son. And that must have been quite an emotional experience, I believe. We know that she held on to Samuel. I don't know if you said this, Nick, so I'm probably repeating some things that you might have already ministered on, but I'm not going to go too far on it. So I'll point out that she weaned him for three years. And then she said, I'll take him to the temple and or uh, the tabernacle, and that's where he'll live. He'll live in the sanctuary. And that took a lot of faith, because you know Eli had some rotten sons, yet she still trusted God to take care of Samuel. He'd be useful to the Lord. And the, 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 I think the traumatic part is that 
she would come once a year. She would not be involved in his growing up, but she'd see him once a year. And what did she bring? A new robe every year, a little bit bigger, a little bit bigger, a little bit bigger. That probably hurt in a way, but it was, you know, she had given him to the Lord, and we just take it at face value. She gave him to the Lord, and she loved bringing this robe for him. And the growth in, 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 in Samuel reminds us that there should be spiritual growth in our own lives. Are we given to the Lord? Is, is, is that the purpose of our lives, to serve him in such a way, such a way that we grow? Would we get a new robe every year, <laughs> you know, spiritually? Uh, are the old things passing away, new things uh, coming, old habits going away, bad habits disappearing, new habits appearing? You know, that's something we each have to judge ourselves. But there must be a change for the better to be growing as a believer. And so the picture of uh, mama, uh, the praying mama, uh, giving Samuel this new larger robe every year is really precious. It reminds us we need to be growing as well. So that's a picture of Samuel and his mother, uh, Hannah. Well, there's another mother, we don't know her name. Uh, and that was Samson's mother. She also was barren. So let's talk about her for a few minutes. Uh, we'll go to Judges chapter 13. So the similarity between Samuel and uh, Samson is that they were both, uh, their mothers were barren. They were gifts to the mother, and the mothers were told to raise them as Nazarites from birth. Consecrate them for the Lord's service from the day they are born. So you have Samuel, and that is a really a blessed story. Then you have Samson. Hmm. Okay, let's go to Samson in Judges. Uh, chapter 13. It's a different story. Given the, the blessing that God gave Samuel uh, was that he became a prophet of God, really able to judge people fairly, uh, pronounce God's, bring God's message to the people in a godly way. His life reflected his godly life. Um, not so with Samson. He did have a special gift, though, and that was what? His strength. He had amazing strength. You read the story of Samson, you just, you're astounded by how strong this guy was. And he could, this, he could, he could force this strength, almost like a movie character, uh, it, at such the right time, that he could really fight those Philistines. And that's why he was good. Well, we'll just read it. Read something here. Verse, uh, thir Judges 13, verse 2. Now there was a certain man from Zorah, the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah. And his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Indeed, now you are barren and have borne no children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Now, therefore, please be careful not to drink wine or similar drink and not to eat anything unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son, and no razor shall come upon his head. For the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin 
to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. So that's the purpose God had for Samson. And to do this, he asks mom, who has no name, also be a Nazarite. Be a Nazarite. Take the vows. Don't drink any wine, nothing alcoholic, nothing. Which doctors tell that to mothers today, right? If you're pregnant, don't drink anything alcoholic. There's the Bible. It has a good health prescription already in it. But that was his specific commands to the mother of Samson. And uh, he is, so, she's going to become a Nazarite as well. So, uh, let's see, verse 24. Verse 24. So the woman bore a son and called his name Samson. And the child grew and the Lord blessed him. And the spirit of the Lord began to move upon him at Mahana, Dan, between Zorah and Eshtel. It sounds like this will go just like Samuel. He'll be a great blessing. You know, he'll walk with the Lord and see people saved and uh, rescue the Israelites. It's, it's perfect, okay? Remember, just quit it right there. Oh, let's look at the first verse of the next chapter. Now Samson went down to Timnah and saw a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. She was pretty. So he went up and told his father and mother, saying, I have seen a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. Now, therefore, get her for me as a wife. Whoa. Then his father and mother said to him, Is there no woman among the daughters of your brethren or among all my people that you must go and get a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? And Samson said to his father, Get her for me, for she pleases me well. I don't know what your translation reads, but it's probably something pretty close, right? She pleases me. It's love at first sight. It happens to everybody. You gotta be careful. You gotta be careful. Okay, this is in the in the Christian life. The this is the equivalent. Well, the command to the Israelites was don't make marriage with the people whose land you're taking over. Don't marry them. It's, it's nothing but trouble. That, that's my command. Don't marry them. Period. Over here in the Christian life. Don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. It's the same principle. And is that uh, in the Christian life, is it because the woman isn't, if you're a guy, it could be the other way around, a, guy, a, woman, a girl looking at a fellow as well. Is it because uh, he's not uh, good enough that you're not supposed to marry him or her? Uh, is it because she's uh, not of your same religion? Well... I know. Maybe it's because God doesn't think other people who are not Christians are lovable enough. I don't think that's the answer. Uh, the point is, uh, if you're a Christian, the Lord Jesus Christ should be the most important thing in your life, in your relationship to him. And when a Christian and a non-Christian get together, you have two people who disagree on the most important things in life. That's why it's so important. And it goes with dating as well. And I don't know if that offends anybody, but it's true. 
you're dating, you're just inviting a relationship that you can easily lose control in, okay, and fall in love with somebody whose, whose most important thing is not the Lord Jesus Christ, but other things, be it the world, anything in the world works. Well, Samson, here's Samson, he's, he's almost like, uh, here's the Lord's will for his life, and he's kind of walking on the edge, okay? He doesn't cut his hair, so he looks like a Nazarite, okay? His hair is probably all tangled up. They weren't supposed to take a comb to their hair either because that could pull out some hair, okay? So the hair was just one big mess. But it was a crown. As, as far as God was concerned, it looks like a crown. You're a Nazarite. And uh, uh, he hasn't drank anything. So he, he's, he's following all the rules, but he's walking on the edge. He's going down to the Philistines, and he falls in love, okay? But maybe for the first time. I want to marry her. Dad, and this was the culture, your father would make the arrangements. She pleases me well. well that's, there you are. You're into the world already. So he's walking on the edge. It's just inviting trouble. And as you know, there are times here, and it turns out, it says later in this chapter, just to be honest with you, verse 4, but his father and mother did not know that it was of the Lord that he was seeking an occasion to move against the Philistines. For at that time, the Philistines had dominion over Israel. So God could use his waywardness in his purposes, but how much more could he have been used by God if he had listened to his mom and dad? Same with a Christian. A Christian can marry a non-Christian, and they'll show up even in our own assembly. It works this way. I've been in many assemblies, not only this assembly, but other assemblies, where there's one lone woman who comes who married an unsaved husband, uh, married to an unsaved husband who's not interested in it. You know? And she can be useful. She can do a lot of things in the assembly. But how much more could she be doing if both she and her husband or followers and put the Lord Jesus Christ first in their life. That, that's the point of this. So what would Samson say about his mother? I don't know what he would say, but what would we say about his mother? I'd say she, well, I'll, I'll toss out a word. I'd say she's disappointed. A disappointed mother. She had, you know, appreciated this promise by God so much she, that she became a Nazarite had raised this son, tremendous brute strength, and then he just goes off and, you know, just nothing has stuck. He still has long hair, but Delilah takes care of that. Uh, but in any case, he could have done so much for the Lord, and he doesn't. I'd say the mother is disappointed. I don't know, maybe you have another word. That's all I have. We have another woman to talk about, and we're almost, actually, we won't get to them all. Another woman uh, with no name. And this is, uh, woman is uh, absolutely amazing. She's a Gentile woman, and the Lord uh, points out to some Jewish, Lord Jesus points out to some Jewish uh, critics that uh, Elijah went to her. He could have gone to some Israelites and gotten the same protection. Elijah is running from, uh, uh, who is it? Uh, Jezebel. Jezebel. He's running from Jezebel. He's trying to hide. So he goes to the, the city of Gentiles. 
And he, he's told to go to a woman who's a widow. We don't know her name. We don't know her son's name. But we're going to come back and ask ourselves, what would the son, how would the son, so what would he say he appreciated about his mom? Uh, that's the question we're going to answer in a few minutes. So, 1 Kings chapter 17. First Kings chapter 17. Uh, verse 8. Now remember, Elijah is running from Jezebel. Then the word of the Lord came to him, that is Elijah, saying, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. See, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. So he's hiding out. So he arose and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, indeed a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Please bring me a little water in a cup that I may drink. And as she was going to get it, she, he called to her and said, Please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. So she said, As the Lord your God, your God lives, I do not have bread only a handful of flour in a bin and a little oil in a jar. And see, I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, do not fear, go and do as you have said, but make me a small cake from it first and bring it to me and afterward make some for yourself and your son for thus says the Lord God of Israel, the bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. So she went away and did according to the word of Elijah. And she, uh, and, she and he and her household ate for many days. I've read a lot here. But just to summarize it, here's a woman at an abject, deep poverty. She has no firewood, so to make a fire, she has to gather sticks. Big difference between firewood and sticks. And, he, he, and it's, it appears that she doesn't remember being commanded to take care of Elijah when he comes. She seems surprised. There's a guy tired, exhausted, she could see the weariness in his face, and she doesn't know, but she's willing. And that might be how God works through unsaved hearts sometimes. They provide uh, things for believers that, you know, they probably don't, wouldn't do it if they were really thinking about it. But anyway, in any case, God is working in mysterious ways through this widow who has a son. And she basically says, it's our last meal. She's probably thin. The sun's probably gaunt and thin. I'm going to make a little fire, make some dough, use up the oil, use up the flour, and that's it. We're going to die. And audacious <laughs> Elijah says, but first, give me the first cake. Uh, well, she does, okay. And, and that's where God must have leaned her heart, you know, she, she knew, in fact, she says this, um, she knew, 
as the verse 12. So she said, as the Lord your God lives, I do not have any bread. She knew Elijah was from Israel and knew the true God. Okay, and that might have might have inclined her to meet Elijah's need. So her obedience then leads to her uh, providing for Elijah. Now, how did God meet that need? Well, she probably went back the next day, and there was still a little more oil, a little more flour in the bin, a little more oil in the jar. Okay, so the next day, same thing goes back the next day. Now, if she had been, if the Lord suddenly provided a couple years worth of oil and a couple years worth of flour, everybody would have seen it, right? They would have come and robbed her because everybody's starving in those days. There's no, there's, it's a drought. It's a super drought. But God just did a little bit each day, whatever was needed each day. That's what he had promised, and they're going to live the whole time, little by little. In the New Testament, you see kind of, a, kind of a similar situation when Paul is chastising the Corinthians about the Macedonians, by using the Macedonians as an example of giving out of their deep poverty. The Corinthians had made great promises about what they were going to give to send to, uh, to Jerusalem. That's in chapter 1. Chapter 2, it still hadn't happened. So Paul's saying, you know, get with it. Send the, send the money. You promised it. It's no good to simply make the promise and not fulfill the promise. Fulfill the promise. Look what the Macedonians have done out of their deep uh, uh, poverty. They have given abundantly out of their deepest poverty. So the picture is similar. And so uh, how, do, how would then the son, just to complete the story enough that uh, we can go on, uh, the son nearly dies. He dies. And Elijah's living on the top of this house. Uh, it's, it's to protect her reputation, but that's where he lives, on the top. So he says, bring your son up to the top of the house. And then he, uh, he lays himself on the sun, and the sun comes back to life again. And, and she's grateful. How would the son describe his mother? How would you describe the widow? <laughs> yeah, tough. Uh, what would the son say that he appreciated about his mother's character? Let me put it that way. What kind of a woman was she? She was, she was giving out of her poverty, right? Would you say she was hospitable? She's hospitable. A hospitable person, the Bible word means a lover of strangers. She's hospitable. You know, there's some countries, the Japanese are like this, they're xenophobic. There's, uh, they have a fear of strangers. She's philozenic, okay? She's a lover of strangers. That's a hospitable person. And the encouragement we have in Hebrews, uh, I think it's 13 and 2, is uh, uh, do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing, some have unwittingly entertained angels. And he's speaking to believers, and he's, he's referring to believing strangers, not to just anybody who walks in off the street, uh, but strangers that we might meet who come to the assembly for a visit. He's basically saying, entertain them. Show hospitality. 
And what that might mean to you is, you know, it might be different to each of us according to our circumstances that particular Sunday. But that's, that's the equivalent, the Old Testament equivalent to this widow woman who gave out of her poverty to the Lord and to Elijah. And yet the, she had more to spare. That's amazing. So the invitation is to entertain strangers, use up what you have, and the Lord's going to provide more. That's the promise. That's the blessing of hospitality. The Lord will fill the cruise with oil, fill the bin with flour as you use it up. So that's, I would say, a good word to describe her is hospitable or giving. Uh, maybe you have a better word. And I hope you, th you talk about this when you go home tonight. Are there better words? How would you describe your own mother, for example? How, what, are, what are some characteristics? And we're, we're out of time right now. I would have gone one more, but I'm not. Uh, you know who that would be? That's kind of obvious. The New Testament. Lois, genuine faith. And Timothy, who chose that faith for his own. And he'd say, my mom, she has genuine faith. And that's something to talk about. What does that mean? And I'll leave it to you to do that. Let's pray. Our Father in God, we thank you tonight for this time we've had together as brothers and sisters in Christ to uh, be reminded again of your kindness to us for the, the, the gift you've given us and our mothers. There are probably many folks in the world today who, who do not have good thoughts about their mother, and we, we do pray for them and pray that uh, when the time comes, Lord, that you'll give them the grace to be good mothers, or if it's a man, uh, the wisdom to encourage a, a godly mother. Uh, we do pray, Father, we'll learn from these things today. Thank you for Nick's media, uh, presentation this morning, his ministry, and uh, thank you for your help tonight. Uh, may we depart in peace and grace. We thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen.